So, we're so glad you're here tonight. Um, thanks for being with us. See you, kiddo. And uh, if we've not met, I'm Ben. I'd love to get coffee with you sometime. So, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark here at RUF. We want to love and serve the campus uh, by proclaiming the story of Jesus uh, from His Word. And uh, tonight we're reading kind of a longer section. In the last few weeks, we've kind of broken it up in pieces. I'm just going to read straight through. So, starting with Mark. And we're going to see sort of uh, three episodes that kind of link together, and we'll see how they fit with each other as we go. So uh, Mark 1, starting at verse 40. And a leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing for what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, paralyzed man, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they were questioning within themselves. He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say... Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But as you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us tonight through your word, that you would be with us. We come to you uh, weary, heavy laden, wounded, sick, sore, and sinners. And whether we believe in you fully or we are skeptical that you exist, we we need you. 
And so I pray that you would speak to each one of us tonight. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, you might have seen my little three-year-old. I said goodbye to her as she was uh, scurrying off. And you probably know a few weeks ago she had appendicitis. Her appendix ruptured. I missed the very first large group of the year because of it. And um, the morning of our first large group, the first day of classes, so you're like entering your first day of college, some of you. I'm in a hospital in Richmond with her after she's been poked and prodded all night, been in an ambulance, hasn't slept a wink. Her voice is raw. She's like this scratchy, like, wow. Like, sound like she'd been like a chain smoker her whole life uh, because she'd been screaming all night and uh, out of fear and pain and everything that was happening. But I, when I saw her, she was out cold and uh, she was on a morphine drip. And then when I came in the room, she kind of stirred awake and she said, Daddy, take me home. And I said, I can't take you home. She said, Why? And I said, Because there's this problem in your tummy. And these, these nice people who've been poking you all with needles and other things, other pleasant things, um, they're going to fix it. And she said, I'm better already. Take me home. <laughs> my, stomach, my tummy doesn't hurt anymore. Um, I, I was at a meeting last night. I'm on a committee in the region for examining uh, incoming pastors on their theology and they let me ask the questions <laughs> on, on a committee, on a committee. And there's a, a doctor, a physician, who's on that. And I was talking about kind of how our semester, I was like, how's REF going? Da, 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 my, my daughter, da, da, da. He said there was a 90% mortality rate before antibiotics for appendicitis. It's crazy, right? Um, she was sick, but she didn't believe it at that moment. She just wanted me to take her home. And this passage is all about being sick. Um, about not being physically sick, but spiritually sick. It's about being physically sick too, but it's more about being spiritually sick. And it's the, the word that Jesus uses here. It's a spiritual sickness called by something, caused by something called sin. Uh, the word sin is not like a popular word these days. Like you go out and, and tell people you believe in sin. It's a little bit weird, and that might be the case for many of you. You object to this idea of sin. Um, I love the band Wilco. By the way, I got tickets for the Head and the Heart uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going. I'm looking for a babysitter October 1st if you're available. Uh, Dawn and I are going to see the Head and the Heart. But I love Wilco, and uh, there's this great song, Radio Cure. And it's not super poetic, like when you just read it, but the way it hits in the song, when Jeff Tweedy sings out, he sings in the song Radio Cure, he says, There is something wrong with me. My mind is filled with radio cures, electronic surgical words. And he's got this sense, you hear it in the song of this like, something's off, something needs to be fixed. And you may have an objection to the notion of sin. I would ask you to put that objection on the table, but a little bit to the side, and just entertain the notion that that might be a real concept that would actually be helpful for you to understand. And that Jesus is offering something better here than radio cures and electronic surgical words. That something is off with us. We see it in humanity. We see it all around us. We see it in our roommate. We see it in our culture. We see it in politics. We see it in global affairs. And we see it in ourselves when we're reflective. And I just want you to entertain the notion that this old archaic idea of sin might be real. And Jesus is here in this passage talking all about it. So I want to look at this passage, but I want to look at it backwards. We're going to start at the bottom and move our way to the top. So let's approach it in reverse. First, I want to look at the healthy. Jesus said, I, don't, I didn't come for the well. I didn't come for the healthy. 
but for the sick. Um, in the context here, Jesus is associating with sinners. You know, he talked about tax collectors. Like, people who work for the IRS, which might be your dad. I, I mean, you know, offense, uh, <laughs> given where we live and where most of you come from, Northern Virginia. Um, like, tax collectors have never been popular in any society because they're taking our money, right? But in this setting, they were particularly unpopular among the Jews because the tax collectors had made themselves allies with the oppressor, Rome, who had conquered this territory. And so, the, like, this guy, Levi, which is a name of the Jewish, of Jewish priest, he's of the house of Levi, he should be a priest, and instead he's working for the enemy and taking our money, and in most cases they were skimming quite a bit off the top and getting rich off of the poor. So we hate that guy. Like, he's the worst. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you hate that guy. Okay, he's a bad dude. And he's associating with these vermin who are conquering us. And then it just says the word sinners. The Bible uses the word sinner in a number of ways. In this context, it means like bad people. Like people who consider like bad people. Like when you watch the fail videos that come across your news feed. Like they'll be like, what are you? Why would you? Uh, these are the people that he's laying down at dinner with. Who reclined at table. This is a thing that you would only do with people that you considered your close friends. Like, so the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, are looking at this, and they're like, why is Jesus besties with those people? And they're offended by it. And they go to his followers, and they're like, what is he doing? And Jesus says, he overhears the conversation, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's not saying, oh, you guys actually are righteous. You're healthy. You're good. You're fine. You don't need me. But these people do. So that's probably what they wanted to hear. What he's actually saying to them is that you have no idea how sick you actually are. In our society today, in many ways, uh, on this campus, the kind of person that shows up at RUF or InterVarsity or Tribe Fellowship or BCM and goes to a Bible study is what our society would look at and see as the Pharisees or the healthy, the good kids. And Jesus is saying to them, actually, no, you're very, very sick. And you don't think you're sick. You're saying, take me home, Daddy. I'm fine. My tummy's all better. But the morphine of their legalism has numbed them to the reality of their spiritual condition. Because they give money away, and they pray at the right times, and they don't work on the day you're not supposed to work, and they keep the rules, and they eat what they're not supposed to eat, and they don't drink what they're not supposed to drink. And they're like, we're, we're good, Dad. We're done. And Jesus is saying, you have no idea. Something has been released into your system, and it will kill you. So we need to know the symptoms of being healthy. What's the symptom of being healthy? Well, what are they doing? I mean, obviously they're judging, right? Those people over there. And you might think to yourself, like, you look around this campus and you might be like, well, at least I don't do that. You might say it out loud, but you're like, well, I'm not like that girl. See what she did on Saturday night? Did you hear? Have you seen her Instagram? You know what she did? I've never, been, I've never been drunk, like not that drunk. I mean, I, don't, I haven't slept around like this person. Um, or like they show up at something like this, RUF, and they're like, what's he doing here? Ever had that thought? 
Or the thought of, you know, I would never invite that person to REF large group or church or another ministry because they just wouldn't be interested. Have that thought. Why do you think they wouldn't be interested? Those people. When those people loved Jesus when he was here physically. And it appears that he loved hanging out with them. Some of you have this experience. You grew up in the church, and you grew up around Christians maybe, but you're like, you know what, I kind of enjoy hanging out with people who aren't Christians because over there it feels like, right? I'm a pastor. That's me. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I want to hang out in the neighborhood. I want to go to the pool party. I want to have a barbecue. I want to drink some beer. You know, like, we just hang out, right? Why is that? Because we're so healthy. We are deadly healthy. And we got to diagnose it because it's just the morphine of our own legalism. I love the author Flannery O'Connor, reader with a grain of salt. She's from a certain time and place and she's critiquing something and uses language that you're like, oh. But it's actually how people talk. She's an artist, okay? Caveat. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar, same thing, okay? Um, she wrote this wonderful little short story called Wise Blood about this excited young minister. All right, we, all right, here we go. Some love. <laughs> and she said about this young pastor like me, this young evangelist, that he had the deep, black, wordless conviction that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. The deep, black, wordless conviction that the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. His righteousness is getting him in the way. His false righteousness, his self-righteousness, his rule-keeping is preventing him from knowing and loving the very person he's preaching to everyone else about. Christianity is not a plan for moral living. Hopefully it produces moral results in our lives as we grow to love God and our neighbor better and live in the world God made for us. But that's not what it is, first and foremost. And I would argue that your friends that you think are those people that are interested don't actually know that. Let's move on. Those are the healthy Now I want to look at the paralyzed man, the paralytic, the paralyzed. So this dude knows he has a problem, right? The healthy are like, we're good. The the paralyzed man is like, I've clearly got some issues. It's kind of obvious. And he comes to Jesus to get it solved. And it's not just him, it's his friends. It's that he had these four friends who like literally literally saw a hole in the ceiling. (laughs) Can you imagine? Somebody's so desperate to get to RUF, they're like... Like, asbestos is raining on us. Like, what, no. like, what are you doing? This is a door, and there's plenty of um, This desperation and determination for him to get to this man, Jesus. It's incredible. And when Jesus sees it, he says, that's great faith. That's incredible. Quick aside. Notice what's happening here. Did the paralyzed man get himself to Jesus? No. Who got him there? His friends. His friends took him 
to Jesus. Uh, unfortunately, you and I don't have like a physical... Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, God the Father Almighty. He has ascended into heaven. We can't physically take people to Jesus, but how do we bring our friends to meet Jesus? We put them in front of the Word. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word. Therefore, the Word is Jesus, the Bible. We put them in the way of places where they're going to hear the Word and see the Word and hear it talked about and discussed and explained and talked about, and we pray. This is how we engage we talk to Jesus about our friends. We bring our like you can't cut a hole in the ceiling. But have you ever thought about doing that in prayer? Hey, let's get the four of us together. We're going to pray for Jeff. Let's knock a hole in the roof because he needs Jesus, and we got to get him to him. And so we do that. And then also, God is present through His Spirit in His community. We introduce our friends to other people who also knew Jesus, in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, and so now they're in contact with Him. And this mysterious way that's how god that's the normal way that god works but this man and his friends they know he has a problem and they know they've got to go to jesus to fix it and so they do and so far so good and then jesus pulls this crazy fast one if this is a familiar story for you i want you to get how weird this is we just cut a hole in the roof he can't feel anything from his neck down and what does jesus say this is amazing faith Your sins are forgiven. Imagine I look That's awesome, but I can't even do that. (laughs) The friends are like, (laughs) Jesus, like forgiveness for schmivness, like that's in Leviticus. Like, what are you talking about? He has a bigger problem. Um, What's the circumstance in your life that you want Jesus to fix for you? This man is paralysis. He wants to walk. Legitimate, right? <laughs> Valid request. You want the girl. You want the grades. You want the job. You want something. Could be your health like him. Or a little deeper. Maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're like a little more reflective than that, but you're coming to Jesus because you just kind of want to get your life together. You know, like... Something's off track in my life. I want to kind of get, I want to be a moral person. I want to be a good person. And so I'm going to come to him so I can kind of get in touch with my spiritual side. And so you, like, unlike the healthy, you recognize you have a need, but still it's not quite the main issue. Uh, Frederick Bruner, a wonderful commentator, brilliant man, he says this, Jesus does word surgery in that he reaches down beneath the man's paralysis and into his guilt. And removing that cures him at the roots. Word surgery that goes beneath the paralysis and into the guilt and cures him at the roots. And Jesus is showing that our condition is far worse than physical or circumstantial. And he says, you're forgiven. Your sins are gone. And then again, the religious leaders, the healthier, are like, what? You can't say that. He's blaspheming. It says they questioned in their hearts. They're just thinking it at this point. Like, oh, that's, oh, only God can do that. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Um, here's the thing. They're right. They're right. Uh, this is from Tim Keller. He says this. 
Let's say Tom, Dick, and Harry are talking. And then Tom punches Dick in the mouth. And there's blood everywhere. And then Harry, Tom and so Tom just punched Dick. Harry says to Tom, I forgive you, it's all over. Right? <laughs> it's all over now. Like Dick is gonna say, like blood coming out of his nose, right? You can't forgive him. Only I can forgive him, right? So you can only forgive a sin that's been committed against you, right? Like, I'm the one with blood on my face. You don't get to say that. And so when Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, your sins are forgiven, he is saying, your sins have really been against me. Jesus Christ, by forgiving the man, is claiming to be God Almighty. And the religious leaders knew it. They knew it. They knew what he was saying. You can't say that. It's blasphemy. Unless you actually are God. And Jesus is saying, paralyzed man, your problem is deeper than you think, but you've come to the right place. And I see your faith and I forgive you. Because that's who I am. It's radical. My healing is way better than the Mayo Clinic. It's more. It's deeper. And then Jesus, I love this, like Jesus knowing their thoughts. He's like, What's it called? An oculumen? Or what's, what's Snape? A clumency or whatever? He can read their mind. Is it, what is it? It's legitimacy. Legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like Severus Snape, and he can read their mind. And he knows what they're saying. And then he asks them a question. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? I'll ask you guys a question. Which is easier? It's a trick question. It's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven, but that's actually the harder thing to do. And then, so Jesus, to prove to them that he's actually capable of the hard, the easier thing to say, but the harder thing to do, does the harder thing to say, but the easier thing to do. And he says to the man, rise, get up, pick up your mat and go. Rise, pick up your mat and go. And then immediately he picked up, he rose picked up his bed, and went out. Did you notice the repetition of the verbs? Imperative, rise. Imperative, get up. Imperative, go. Rose, past tense. Picked up, past tense. Went, past tense. The same verbs. Exactly as Jesus said, so it was. The implication being... If I say your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. So as Jesus says, so it is, is what he's showing them. Bad news, paralyzed man, you're, more, you're worse off than your circumstances in your body, but the good news is you've come to the right place. Let's look at the first story slash last story. The leper, paralyzed man, the healthy and the leper. So completely unlike the healthy, this guy knows that he's sick. He's covered in sores. But more than the paralytic, like the paralytic had a condition that he was aware of, but at least he had four friends. Whereas lepers were completely isolated. In this society, if you, if you had leprosy, the skin condition, 
you had to cover your face, and any time anyone came near you, you had to shout out to them, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because you were, like, contagious, that you could get someone else sick, but also under the ceremonial law, you could contaminate them so that they couldn't enter into the temple to worship. Which is part of the reason why Jesus says, go show the priest, now you get to worship again. When he heals him, he restores him to worship God. But they're ostracized in every conceivable way, socially, religiously, geographically. He knows he's sick and he knows that it's deep. And for some of you, that's how you feel. Like, I I doubt that you run through campus shouting, unclean, unclean, stay away. (laughs) But at some level, you know that you are isolated. You feel like you have to withdraw and be away. You carry a lot of shame and you live in isolation. And the, the notion of if anyone really knew what I struggle with, what I've done, they wouldn't want to be near me. I'm untouchable. Some of you can pinpoint exactly what it is that makes you feel that way. It could be the morning after the party. Bags on the eyes. Little vomit breath going on. It could be the walk of shame after the hookup. Uh, it could be after you've watched porn for the, like 90, 11th time. When you thought, I'm not going to do that ever again. Or it, it might not be able to pinpoint. It might just be this vague sense of like, I know. I'm unlovely, unclean, and I can't let people know me. And look at what the leper says, verse 40 of chapter 1. If you will, and that means like if you are willing, if you will it to be, you can make me clean. Again, Frederick Bruner says the leper's remark can be considered the perfect definition of faith. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He's a, it's a confession of faith. It's a confession of his uncleanliness and his confession of Jesus' power to make it happen. And whether he just meant in the ceremonial sense to get into the temple or whether he understood the full thing, we don't really know, but it's this profound statement of faith. And this is what's so incredible about it, okay? The rabbis of that time taught that it was harder to cure a leper than it was to raise the dead. It's harder to clean a leper than it is to raise the dead. They were the walking dead. Verse 41. And moved with pity. And it's not like, oh, I pity you. Tap, tap on the head. It's a compassionate emotion. Jesus is moved with compassion for this man. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. What's so amazing here is not just the miracle that he did the thing that the rabbi said was harder than raising the dead. It's not the miracle that's amazing. What's amazing? It's that he touched him. He touched him. And it's not just like a little magician's razzle dazzle, like just to add a little spice to this miracle, I'm going to touch you. The lepers were untouchable. Under the Old Testament law, if you touch a leper, their uncleanliness is transferred to you. 
And if I touch a leper, not only can he not worship, I can't worship. But when Jesus touches him, Jesus' cleanliness is transferred to him. It's incredible. He touches him, and it's the word there. Like, nobody in the original context, most of all the leper, would never have expected Jesus to actually touch him. This man had probably not been touched by another human being in years. Can you imagine that? No physical contact. And then the word for touched is an emphatic touch. It's, it's, it's really better translated grasped. He grabbed him. He grabbed onto him. So those of you who carry that deep sense of shame, a lot of us, especially if you're raised in the church, you have this sense of like, God forgives me kind of begrudgingly. Like, because Jesus died in my place... The Father's willing to accept me because of a legal technicality. But he doesn't want me. Again, same commentator, Frederick Bruner. He says, the gospel is in the grasp. The gospel is in that grasp. Jesus holds on to him. He touches the untouchable. And in grabbing that man, he says, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. I came for you. I came for you because I love you, because you're the kind of people I like to hang out with. You're like the people I have to dinner with. You're the ones who know and understand that you actually need something, and you're not completely full of yourself and thinking that you're doing just fine. And that's the people that he came for. And on the cross, Jesus takes our uncleanliness onto ourselves. And gives us that cleanliness so that he can grasp us and make us clean. So in a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. It's an old Celtic song. I will arise and go to Jesus. It's written actually based on these passages. It's just just like the leper, or just like the paralytic, we rise and go to him. I'm going to read some of the lyrics. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me. That's the grasp in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. We don't talk that way anymore. But it's this idea that like everything that we need is there. It's not my ability to walk. It's not my ability, ability to succeed. It's not my ability to get him or her. It's there's something even better that's in that embrace. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry, if you wait. Till you're better, you will never come at all. The healthier saying, well, we're pretty good at how we are, or I can kind of get a little bit better, and then I'll come. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience, even your own conviction, make you linger. Don't wait. Nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to know your need of him. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. We're going to sing that in a second. So sing it and renounce your health. And like Levi, sit at the table with a bunch of other sinners. And like the paralytic friends, call each other to faith. And like the paralytic, rise and go to Jesus. And like the leper, be embraced. That's what we're going to do together right now. Let me pray and we'll stand up. If the worship team can come on up. Lord God, we thank you uh, that you are a God of grace and forgiveness, that you embrace us as we are in the midst of our Sickness and suffering and shame and guilt. 
things done to us and things we've done ourselves. You can redeem all of it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that for us even now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand up.